Chapter Twenty Five of the Adventures of Huckleberry Finn. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Adventures of Huckleberry Finn by Mark Twain. Chapter Twenty Five. Is it them? Singing the Doxa Lodger. Awful Square. Funeral Orgies. A Bad Investment. The news was all over town in two minutes, and you could see the people tearing down on the run from every which way, some of them putting on their coats as they came. Pretty soon it was in the middle of a crowd, and the noise of the tramping was like a soldier march. The windows and dooryards was full, and every minute somebody would say over a fence, Is it them? And somebody trotting along with the gang would answer back and say you bet it is when we got to the house the street in front of it was packed and the three girls was standing in the door mary jane was red-headed but that don't make no difference she was most awful beautiful and her face and her eyes was all lit up like glory she was so glad her uncles was come the king, he spread his arms, and Mary Jane, she jumped for them, and the hare lip jumped for the duke, and there they had it. Everybody most, leastways women, cried for joy to see them meet again at last and have such a good times. Then the king, he hunched the duke private. I see him do it, and then he looked around and see the coffin over in the corner on two chairs. So then him and the duke, like a hand across each other's shoulder, and to other hand to their eyes, walked slow and solemn over there. Everybody dropped back to give them room, and all the talk and the noise stopping, people saying, shh, and all the men taking their hats off and drooping their heads, so you could a heard a pinfall. And when they got there, they bent over and looked in the coffin and took one sigh, and then they burst out a-crying, so you could a heard them to Orleans, most, and then they put their arms around each other's necks, and hung their chins over each other's shoulders, and then for three minutes, or maybe four, I never seen two men leak the way they done, and mind you, everybody was doing the same, and the place was that damp I never see anything like it, then one of them got on one side of the coffin, and to other on to other side, and they kneeled down, and rested their foreheads on the coffin, and led on to pray all to themselves. Well, when it come to that, it worked the crowd like you never see anything like it, and everybody broke down and went to sobbing right out loud. The poor girls, too, and every woman, nearly, went up to the girls without saying a word and kissed them solemn on the forehead and then put their hand on their head and looked up towards the sky with the tears running down and then busted out and went off sobbing and swabbing and give the next woman a show i never see anything so disgusting well by and by the king gets up and comes forward a little and works himself up and sobbers out a speech, all full of tears and flap-a-doodle about his being a sore trial for him, 
and his poor brother to loose the deceased, and to miss seeing diseased alive after the long journey of four thousand mile. But it's a trial that's sweetened and sanctified to us by this dear sympathy and these holy tears, and so he thanks them out of his heart and out of his brother's heart, because out of their mouths they can't, words being too weak and cold, and all that kind of rot and slush, till it was just sickening, and then he blubbers out a pious goody-goody amen, and turns himself loose and goes to crying fit to bust. In the minute the words were out of his mouth, somebody over in the crowd struck up the doxologer, and everybody joined in with all their might, and it just warmed you up and made you feel as good as church letting out. Music is a good thing, and after all that soul butter and hogwash, I never see it freshen up think so, and sound so honest and bully. Then the king begins to work his jaw again, and says how him and his nieces would be glad if a few of the main principal friends of the family would take supper here with them this evening, and help set up with the ashes of the deceased and says if his poor brother laying yonder could speak, he knows who he would name. For they was names that was very dear to him, and mentioned often in his letters, and so he would name the same to wit as follows. Reverend Mr. Hobson, and Deacon Lothalvey, and Mr. Ben Rucker, and Abner Shackelford, and Levy Bell, and Dr. Robinson, and their wives and the widow Bartley. Reverend Hobson and Dr. Robinson was down to the end of the town a-hunting together, that is, I mean the doctor was shipping a sick man to the other world, and the preacher was pinting him right. Lawyer Bell was away up to Lewisville on business, but the rest was on hand, and so they all come and shook hands with the king, and thanked him and talked to him, and then they shook hands with the duke, and didn't say anything, but just kept a-smiling and bobbing their heads like a passel of sapheads, whilst he made all sorts of signs with his hands and said, Goo-goo-goo-goo-goo all the time, like a baby that can't talk. So the king, he blattered along, and managed to inquire about pretty much everybody and dog in town by his name, and mentioned all sorts of little things that happened one time or another in the town, or to George's family, or to Peter. And he always let on that Peter wrote him the things, but that was a lie. He got every blessed one of them out of that young flathead that we canoed up to the steamboat. Then Mary Jane, she fetched the letter her father left behind, and the king he read it out loud and cried over it. It gave the dwelling house and three thousand dollars, gold, to the girls, and it gave the tan yard, which was doing a good business, along with some other houses and land, worth about seven thousand, and three thousand dollars in gold to Harvey and William, and told where the six thousand cash was hid down cellar. So these two frauds said they'd go and fetch it up, and have everything square and above board and told me to come with a candle. We shut the cellar door behind us, and when they found the bag, they spilt it out on the floor, and it was a lovely sight, 
all of them yaller boys. My, the way the king's eyes did shine. He slaps the duke on the shoulder and says, Oh, this ain't bully nor nothing. Oh, no, I reckon not. Why, bully, it beats the nonsuch, don't it? The duke allowed it did. They pawed the yaller boys and sifted them through their fingers and let them jingle down on the floor. And the king says, It ain't no use talking being brothers to a rich dead man and representative of foreign heirs that's got left is the line for you and me, Bilge. This year comes from trustin' to Providence. It's the best way in the long run. I've tried em all, and there ain't no better way. Most everybody would have been satisfied with the pile, and took it on trust, but no, they must count it. So they counts it, and it comes out four hundred and fifteen dollars short, says the king. Durnham, I wonder what he's done with that four hundred and fifteen dollars. They worried over that a while, and ransacked all around for it. Then the duke says, Well, he was a pretty sick man, and likely he made a mistake. I reckon that's the way of it. The best way's to let it go, and keep still about it. We can spare it. Oh, shucks, yes, we can spare it. I don't care nothing about that. It's the count I'm thinking about. We want to be awful square and open and above board here, you know. We want to lug this here money upstairs and count it before everybody. Then there ain't nothing suspicious. But when the dead man says there's six thousand dollars, you know, we don't want to... Hold on, says the duke. Let's make up the deficit. And he begun to haul out other boys out of his pocket. It's a most amazing good idea, Duke. You've got a rattling clever head on you, says the king. Blessed if the old nonsuch ain't a-helpin' us out again. And he began to haul out yaller jackets and stack them up. It most busted them, but they made up the six thousand clean and clear. Say, says the duke, I got another idea. Let's go upstairs and count this money and then take and give it to the girls. Good land, Duke. Let me hug ya. It's the most dazzling idea at ever a man struck. You have certainly got the most astonishing head I ever seen. Oh, this is the boss dodge. There ain't no mistake about it. Let em fetch along their suspicion now, if they want to. This'll lay em out. When we got upstairs, everybody gathered around the table, and the king, he counted it and stacked it up. Three hundred dollars in a pile. Twenty elegant little piles. Everybody looked hungry at it and licked their chops. Then they raked it into the bag again, and I see the king begin to swell himself up for another speech. He says, Friends all, my poor brother that lays yonder has done generous by them that's left behind in the Vale of Sorrows. He has done generous by these your poor little lambs that he has loved and sheltered, and that's left fatherless and motherless. Yes, and we that knowed him knows 
that he would have done more generous by them if he hadn't been afraid of wounding his dear William and me. Now wouldn't he? There ain't no question about it in my mind. Well then, what kind of brothers would it be that didn't stand in his way at such a time? And what kind of uncles would it be that didn't rob, yes, rob such poor sweet lambs as these as he loved so at such a time? If I know William, and I think I do, he will. I'll just ask him. He turns around and begins to make a lot of signs to the duke with his hands. And the duke, he looks at him stupid and leather-headed a while. Then all of a sudden, he seems to catch his meaning and jumps for the king, goo-gooing with all his might for joy, and hugs him about fifteen times before he lets up. Then the king says, I note it. I reckon I'll convince everyone the way he feels about it. Here, Mary Jane, Susan, Joanna, take the money, take it all. It's the gift of him that lays yonder, cold but joyful. Mary Jane, she went for him. Susan and the hair lip went for the duke. And then, such another hugging and kissing I never see yet. And everybody crowded up with the tears in their eyes. And most shook the hands off of them frauds, saying all the time, You dear good souls! How lovely! How could you? Well then, pretty soon, all hands got to talking about the deceased again, and how good he was, and what a loss he was, and all that. And before long, a big iron-jawed man worked himself in there from outside, and stood a-listening and looking, and not saying anything, and nobody saying anything to him either, because the king was talking, and they was all busy listening. The king was saying, in the middle of something, he started in on. They be in particular friends of the diseased. That's why they're invited here this evening. But tomorrow we want all to come. Everybody. For he respected everybody. He liked everybody. And so it's fitting that his funeral orgies should be public. And so he went a mooning on and on, liking to hear himself talk. And every little while... He fetched in his funeral orgies again, till the duke he couldn't stand it no more, so he writes on a little scrap of paper, Obsequies, you old fool, and folds it up, and goes to goo-gooing and reaching it over people's heads to him. The king he reads it and puts it in his pocket, and says, Paul William, afflicted as he is, his heart alas, right? Asked me to invite everyone to come to the funeral. Wants me to make them all welcome. He needn't worry. It was just what I was at. Then he weaves along again, perfectly calm, and goes to dropping in his funeral orgies again every now and then, just like he'd done before. And when he done it the third time, he says, I say orgies, not because it's a common term, because it ain't. Obsequies being the common term, but because orgies is the right term. Obsequies ain't used in England no more now. It's gone out. 
We say orgies in England. Orgies is better, because it means the thing you're after more exact. It's a word that's made up out in the Greek orjo, outside, open, abroad, and the Hebrew jizum, to plant, cover up, hence inter. So you see, funeral orgies is an open or public funeral. He was the worst I ever struck. Well, the iron-jawed man, he laughed right in his face. Everybody was shocked. Everybody says, Why, My doctor! doctor. And Abner Shackleford says, Why, Robinson, hain't you heard the news? This is Harvey Wilkes. The king, he smiled eager and shoved out his flapper and says, Is it my poor brother's dear good friend and physician? I, uh... Keep your hands off of me, says the doctor. You talk like an Englishman, don't you? It's the worst imitation I ever heard. You, Peter Wilkes' brother. You're a fraud, that's what you are. Well, how they all took on. They crowded around the doctor and tried to quiet him down and tried to explain to him and tell him how Harvey'd showed in forty ways that he was Harvey and knowed everybody by name and the names of the very dogs and begged and begged him not to hurt Harvey's feelings and the poor girl's feelings and all that. But it weren't no use. He stormed right along and said any man that pretended to be an Englishman and couldn't imitate the lingo no better than what he did was a fraud and a liar. The poor girls was hanging to the king and crying, and all of a sudden the doctor ups and turns on them. He says, I was your father's friend, and I'm your friend, and I warn you as a friend and an honest one, that wants to protect you and keep you out of harm and trouble, to turn your backs on that scoundrel and have nothing to do with him, the ignorant tramp, with his idiotic Greek and Hebrew, as he calls it. He is the thinnest kind of an impostor, has come here with a lot of empty names and facts which he picked up somewhere, and you take them for proofs, and are helped to fool yourselves by these foolish friends here who ought to know better. Mary Jane Wilkes, you know me for your friend, and for your unselfish friend, too. Now listen to me. Turn this pitiful rascal out. I beg you to do it. Will you? Mary Jane straightened herself up, and ma, but she was handsome. She says, Here is my answer. She hove up the bag of money and put it in the king's hands and says, Take this six thousand dollars and invest for me and my sisters any way you want to, and don't give us no receipt for it. Then she put her arm around the king on one side, and Susan and the hare lip done the same on to other. Everybody clapped their hands and stomped on the floor like a perfect storm, while the king held up his head and smiled proud. The doctor says, all right, I wash my hands of the matter, but I warn you all that a time is coming when you're going to feel sick whenever you think of this day. And away he went. All right, doctor, says the king, kinder mocking him. 
we'll try and get em to send for you. Which made them all laugh, and they said it was a prime good hit. End of chapter 25